Welcome to the UFC Ultimate Faithful <laughs> Catholics. We are your spiritual fitness trainers. We are here in the octagon. You know what? You know what an octagon is in Catholic Christianity? It's an eight-sided baptismal font, and you can find those all the way in the Holy Land. That bap- Catholics were baptized in eight uh, in in octagonal baptismal fonts that were uh, that were you know like looked like jacuzzis. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the word eight for the Jews it means eternal life. So uh, that's that's a good number for us as Catholics, Terry. I'm reporting for duty. How about you? I'm reporting for duty, Jesse. I love the topics you got today. Uh, first of all, uh, the, the Holy Father said there's a strong reactionary element in the U.S. This was an interview with other uh, Jesuits a month or two ago, but I wanted to discuss this, who he's talking about, and why are we uh, reactionary to the Holy Father? And we have to be honest about it. And I just want to be honest, too. I just found out that that the Holy Father did respond publicly in the media about confirming that he's taking away Cardinal Burke's apartment, but he denies calling him an enemy. So God bless him. I, if that's not the case, then correct me, because I read that you did. So if you didn't, I'm, okay, I take your word for it. Stand correct. Yeah. yeah. So I, and, and again, Jesse, I always will. If I, get, if I say anything on the air, please, that's not correct, you know, correct me right on the air. I have no problem with that, because I want the truth. Also, we're going to be covering the downfall of the woke Disney network, which is going to be, I think, a good news story because it shows that they're way out in touch of what American people want. And then thirdly, my favorite topic, Jess, is the liturgy, (laughs) you know, ad orientum, the way that will make the mass God-centered again. We've been talking about this for (laughs) over many years at least, (laughs) and we're going to continue to talk about it. But Jesse, I really found something for a good-to-know file it's fascinating. A middle Minnesota middle school bans student cell phones, and kids are happier. And this is a one-year study they did this last year, and the results have been better scores at school. The kids are learning more, uh, less problems with discipline because of social fighting, and the list goes on and on. They would tell the kids that from 8, 10 in the morning till 2.40, your cell phone needs to be in the locker room. If we see you with it, we'll confiscate it. And here's the kicker, Jess. The whole year, guess how many parents got mad when the school implemented the policy of taking the cell phone away from the kid? Zero. Wow. So I, I, I was thinking, no, no, there's got to be some crazy parents who say, no, no, you're, you're taking my kids' rights away. My point is, maybe we need to do that in more places. I think it would probably be a good idea. On that. All right, just one. Oh, yeah. That, so go ahead. You tell me. I, I wanted to take a little time on that one, so I only did the one. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's uh, good stuff. Uh, I just, uh, this morning, somebody sent me a social media post yeah. from Monsignor Charles Pope. I got it, too. Of Washington, yes, D.C. I saw that. Uh-huh. Here's what he posted today. <laughs> this is important. Yeah, he says, quote, With the Pope's most recent dismissal <coughs> of one of his enemies, Cardinal Burke, Bishop Strickland, Archbishop Genswine, and all others, we are left to ponder just how petty this has become. Mm. At some point, we're forced to conclude that the Pope is behaving like a bitter, vengeful, and intolerant man through his heavy-handed actions. No accompaniment or going to the margins here. (laughs) It's away with you and (laughs) off to the margins with you. Meanwhile, many dissenters and others hostile to the Catholic faith are welcomed warmly at the Vatican. Believers everywhere are perplexed and saddened. I am told that even 
many of the Pope's allies yep. are growing concerned and fearful. It is all very sad. However, this overreach may actually be backfiring on the Pope and ensuring that the next conclave will practically be forced to find a man who can be a healer and uniter rather than the divisive and frankly mean-spirited leader that we have now. He says, pray for Pope Francis and pray for the church. Yes, yeah, can I just... Charles. God, he's a great man. We've had him on. One more thing that just I had to tell you. I, I, did, an, I did Monday's show this morning at 6 a.m. from Father Charles Murr in Spain. And uh, one of the things that uh, we've noticed in Spain is that they're, they had this law that says they can't pray the rosary in public. And the Spain, Spanish people there in Spain just came out, thousands of people praying and singing in Latin. And Father Murr said that that's what happens. Most of the people are going to fight the socialistic government. We're tired of it. And so I thought that was a good news story. But he did say something about Pierre, uh, the Cardinal Pierre, who's our apostolic nuncio in America. You know, he was made a cardinal. And when Father Murr was in the Vatican, working at the Vatican in 1975, he remembers Paul VI said, we got to stop making nuncios cardinals until they're age 80 or when they're out of service because what it does is it gives them power for careerism. And this is something that Pope Francis talks about all the time, that we shouldn't have it. So it's interesting. Our nuncio here in America was made a cardinal just two months ago, and Paul VI, again, was a wise man on this, saying, don't give it to him, because now he's going to be shoving his weight around more and thinking that, you know, now I'm a cardinal, guys. You know, and he did just last month. You saw at the bishop's conference. So Pope Paul VI knew what he was talking about. That's right. And there's also another meme that's going around the Internet. It got the picture of, uh, I forget that priest, Harry, uh, that he was uh, caught having a drug-fueled orgy. I forget his name. But it's got, a, it's got the picture of his face. And then next to him is Cardinal Burke. And so this priest that uh, it says here, uh, this priest presided over a drug-fueled gay orgy and still keeps his job his salary, and his apartment. Then the picture right next door, it's got the picture of Cardinal Raymond Burke. It says, oh, no. Meanwhile, this, this uh, uh, cardinal has maintained the faithful teachings of the Catholic yeah. Church, <laughs> and he loses his job, his salary, that one out. and his apartment. Oh, what the world we're living in. It's amazing. <laughs> is this microphone? Yeah, is it on or not? Come on. All right, some soul food, Terry. All right, let's get the soul food to us, Jess. Uh, and St. Andrew's our feast day today. So Pray for us. Yep, let's do it. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As, as Matthew was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked along from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee. Mending their nets, he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their, and their father and followed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A little bit about St. Andrew, uh, since it's his feast day today. Yeah. He's the brother of Simon Peter. Uh, he shared a special intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. His name always ranks high on the list of the apostles, usually next to his brother's name, Peter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew's also, he's a, uh, this guy was a born evangelist. Not uh, no, This guy 
when he when he encountered Jesus and Jesus called him, he ran to tell his brother Peter in John chapter one, <laughs> right. verse thirty five to forty two, like, "Hey man, Jesse, look, who, Jesse. look who I just met, man! Exactly. He's the Messiah." And and uh, after the resurrection, Andrew is said to have witnessed to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Greece, where he suffered martyrdom in the city of Patras, and according to many traditions. St. Andrew, the apostle and evangelist, all the way to the very end, he was, he was pinned on a cross. Wow, yep. It, it was an X-shaped cross. Right. There was crowds that were gathered watching him and soldiers, and he preached from a cross for two days. Wow. Pow- no water, no food, oh, preaching from a cross for two days, hanging there wow. in an X-shape. And uh, he finally succumbed to death, obviously. But uh, thousands in Greece have, have heard his words. He's the patron saint of Greece, Scotland, and Russia. And it was said that many, many people that were there witnessing, soldiers in- included, they converted at, at the testimony and witness and fortitude of this apostle preaching while he's, be, while he's hanging on a cross. And you wonder St. why... Andrew, pray for us. Yeah, and you wonder why Bishop Strickland tells us we have to become first century Christians again. Mm. All right, mm. Justin, let's go, get the gospel. Oh, so, okay, so let's bring in the smartest guy in the room right now, Bishop Sheen. Full Sheen ahead. Yep, you got it. Jess, we're just going to use a scripture verse that I think Bishop Sheen would want us to hear especially in the days we're living in. Thessalonians okay. chapter 5, verse 4 to 5. Yes, he says, You are not in the dark, brothers, that the day should catch you off guard like a thief. No, all of you are children of light and of the day. We belong neither to darkness nor to the night. Let us be children of light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks to God. Be to Jesse, God. I, that quote just got me today when you were, when I read, I said, I got to give that quote because that's exactly what's going on right now. We don't want to be a part of the darkness. We want to be a light stand. Yeah. By the way, I just want to mention for those people that want a, a full explanation mm-hmm. on the show earlier today on Jesus 911 on this network, vmpr.org, yep. I went a whole hour on what is Pope-splaining. Mm-hmm. Me and Paul Clay. So if you want to hear... This new, this new trend in the Catholic Church of it's called Pope splaining. I get into it and I show why it's wrong. Uh, Terry, and that word comes from uh, Ricky Ricardo and I love Lucy. He was a Cuban character. He, he married a kind of a ditzy blonde and, and, and uh, he would all, when Lucy would he'd say something to Lucy and she didn't understand, he would say, Lucy, let me explain to you. <laughs> and so today I, 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 I gave Good. you the definition of what Pope's explaining is because we have a lot of them out there in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And I show where they're wrong. Excellent. When we come back, we'll talk now about that Holy Father is saying that there's a strong reactionary element in the U.S. Catholic Church. He was talking to Jesuits. And what's that all about? And uh, we'll talk more about uh, explaining why we have uh, concerns about Pope Francis in a genuine and authentic and charitable way. Stay with us, family. We'll be back back with Terry and Jesse Show. See, I can't believe how quick time goes. Uh, and I say that because we're almost at the end of the year, 
going into 19, until not 19, 2024. Jesse, you and I think of like the 1970s and 80s as like yesterday. Yeah. And not, now we're at the end of our lives. I mean, let's just be honest. R- rounding third base. Yeah. And and we're going to hit it hard. by And pre- happy to do so, by the way. Exactly, brother. <laughs> this topic that you picked, Pope says there's a strong reactionary element in the U.S. Catholic Church. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit of the circumstances in this article, where it was and who was he talking to? Well, he was talking, It's it's uh, this article comes from the USCCB, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it, it's, it's, he, he's been very critical of U.S. Catholics in general. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why, Terry, because uh, we have the most educated Catholics in the last 2,000 years living right now amongst the laity. And then we have also the ability to communicate through the Internet. Yeah. So we're able to get messages across. I mean, you know, we, we, we couldn't out Pope Alexander VI and his nine kids easily because, uh, you know, we didn't have an Internet or, or email or text. Right. Now we could expose things, Terry, and and it seems like Pope Francis doesn't like that. He calls that us reactionary. Mm-hmm. And so the Catholic Church in the U.S., uh, Pope Francis said, yeah. has a very strong reactionary element that is well-organized and refuses to see how Catholic doctrine can and must grow and mature. We'll talk more about that. Oh, big time. Yeah, he goes, I w- this, the Pope said this, I would like to remind those people that in the atrismo, which means being backward looking, is useless. And we need to understand that there's an appropriate evolution in the understanding of matters of faith and morals. The Pope said this in response to a question about the U.S. Catholics during a meeting in Lisbon, Portugal on August 5th. On most of his foreign trips, Pope Francis spends time with local Jesuits answering their questions. As is customary, the Rome-based Jesuit journal La Civilta Católica published a manuscript of the Lisbon encounter several weeks later, uh, resulting it releasing Releasing. it in Italian and English on August 28th. Mm -hmm. A Jesuit brother had told the Pope he spent his sabbatical year in the U.S. And something that made a great impression on this Jesuit was how many Catholics, including bishops, are criticizing your leadership of the church. Hmm. In the United States, the situation is not easy. This is is Pope Francis' response. Here's what he said. In the U.S., the situation is not easy. There is a very strong reactionary attitude. It is organized and shapes the way people belong, even emotionally, close quote. Pope Francis said, those American groups you talk about, so closed, are isolating themselves. Instead of living by doctrine, by the true doctrine that always develops, look at notice that, always develops and bears fruit, they live by ideologies. When you abandon doctrine in life to replace it with an ideology, you have lost, you have lost as in war. So the Pope insisted that there's a difference between haphazardly changing church teaching and growing in understanding. As examples, Pope Francis said the following quote. He said, today it is a sin to possess atomic bombs. The death penalty is a sin. You cannot employ it. But it was not so before. As for slavery, some pontiffs before me tolerated it, but things are different today. And then Pope Francis says, so you change, you change, but with the criteria taught by St. Vincent of Lorenz, that it be consolidated by years, enlarged by time, and refined by age, the Pope said. 
And look look at this statement here. Oh, yeah, I've read it. This is problematic. This here. is it, you, big time. Yeah, this is the big one here. Mm-hmm. Pope Francis said, In other words, doctrine also progresses, expands and consolidates with time and becomes firmer, but it is always progressing. Change develops from roots upward, growing in accord with these three criteria. Now, notice what he said in that sentence. Doctrine also progresses, expands, and consolidates with time and becomes firmer. Let me read to you the, the New American Bible, the one approved by the U.S. bishops for use in all the lectionaries in the U.S. 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Anyone who is so progressive as not to remain in the teaching of the Christ does not have God. So let me quote to you Pope Francis and then St. John St. John the Apostle. Here it is. Pope Francis. Doctrine also progresses, expands and consolidates with time and becomes firmer. John the Apostle. Anyone who is so progressive <laughs> as not to remain in the teaching of the Christ does not have God. You have two, you have a, 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 an apostle, an eyewitness, one of the gospel writers who's saying something different from what Pope Francis said in this interview. Well, I, I, I got to go with point it out. Yeah, I, I got to go. Yeah, yeah, that's that, yeah. that's that's the top of the food chain for us here as Catholics. Yeah. But, but Jesse, when you keep reading on to this uh, and we can read, but I just want to make one little comment. He's criticizing you and me, particularly because yeah, yeah. we're the guys that say doctrine doesn't change. I, our understanding and fully understanding it more can change, but a substance never changes on the doctrine. And I think that what I would ask Holy Father, I'd say, Holy Father, you need to blame the, your predecessors, Benedict XVI, John Paul II II, because they formed us when we were younger men, and we knew from documents of the church that these things can't change about marriage laws. We, we can't change the things about sexuality, of, of uh, homosexuality being okay, or that we, uh, we, don't, uh, we just accept people for what they are without saying to them, repent and believe in the gospel. The previous predecessors told us that. So if you want to complain about who we are, I think you've got to go to your predecessors. Yeah, Terry, and uh, one of the things that, it's not just Terry Barber and Jess Romero that's saying these things. Nope. This is well documented. There, there's at least ten books that have been written by scholars that have that have documented yeah. the statements, the ambiguity, and even some of the theological missteps of Pope Francis. Book number one, The Dictator Pope by Henry Sire. Book number two, Lost Shepherd yeah. by Philip Lawler. Book number three, To Change the Church, Pope Francis and the Future of Catholicism by Ross Douthat. Book four, The Political Pope, How Pope Francis is Delighting the Liberal Left and Abandoning Conservatives by George Neumeyer, Rest in Peace. Book five, Pope Francis' Paradigm Shift by Jose Antonio Ureta. Book six, Bad Shepherds by Rod Bennett. Book seven, Infiltration by Taylor Marshall. Book eight, Defending the Faith Against Heresies by Dr. John R.T. Lamont. Book 9 and 10, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. It's called The Road from Hyperpapalism to Catholicism. Terry, altogether, these 10 books are written by well-respected academics. And who love the church, I might add. Yeah, uh, yeah. and and faithful Catholics, okay? Mm -hmm. Altogether, you have over 3,000 pages of research, 
documenting Pope Francis' statements, his writings, well-sourced, highly footnoted, yeah. replete, and with painful facts. Yeah. And again, these men are men of the church. They're not dissenters. They're not modernists. You know, they're not, uh, you know, uh, you know, lefties. They, these are people that are just right with Holy Mother Church. And we also have a lot of other successors of the apostles that are saying the same thing. We have many prelates who have tried to offer correction yep. and have answered, asked questions of the Pope. They're asking him questions. They're offering a correction. Yep. They're offering him suggestions. Yep. And they've been either canceled, removed, or exiled. And the list is growing, Terry. Is. Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Brandmuller, rest in peace. Cardinal Kafaro, rest in peace. Cardinal Meisner, Cardinal Powell, rest in peace. Cardinal Seurat, Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Zen. Cardinal Jacobus, Archbishop Ganswine, Archbishop Vigano, Bishop Strickland, Bishop Snyder, and now we even have Bishop Barron, who's criticizing the Synod, along with Father Gerald Murray, yep. canon lawyer, yep. Dr. Scott Hahn, who did a show on Can You Criticize the Pope? It's on EWTN, yeah. and countless other priests. Terry, uh, we're not the only ones that are seeing this. And you know, Jesse, you remember in Italy... It was 2018 when the Pope said to the Italian bishops, it's okay to criticize the Pope. Do you recall that? We've talked about it. See, so to me, uh, you got to have it both ways. And so that's why we need to be praying for Pope Francis. His health is frail. He's, I, I think really he realizes he's at the end of his pontificate, and I think he's just kind of reaching out right now in, uh, in, a, in a bad way, I think. But he's reaching out. But I'm going to make a suggestion that I think will, I mean, I'm going to make a prediction that when the next conclave comes and everybody thinks, oh, it's going to be Pope Francis, you know, uh, 5.2, next, the next Pope Francis. I believe in this, and I'll say it now on this date, the end of, end of uh, November. Uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think uh, the, we're going to have some surprises. I think that uh, the voting for the next Pope are going to realize that uh, we can't continue in the direction of Francis, and we need a change to go back to the perennial teachings of the church. So I said it today on the 30th of November, 2023. Prove me wrong, folks. Something else that Pope Francis said in this interview that we got, I got, we have this article from the USCCB website, mm -hmm. and the article is called, yeah. uh, Pope says there is a strong reactionary element in U.S. Catholic Church. Yep. In this interview, he also said, he said, now this is an ambiguous statement. He says, Jesus is very clear about this. The Pope said, the door is open to everyone. <laughs> everyone has their own space in the church. That's a true statement, but everybody coming into the church must repent and believe in the gospel and conform their life to what Jesus Christ taught, to the gospel principles, which is living in holiness, living in purity, living in a state of grace, living according to the word of God. So there's a lot that he, that he should have said that he didn't. Yeah, and that's what Father Bar Bishop Barron said the same thing. And he made a strong statement when he said, the sign of a corrupt church is when it's not precise about yes. what it teaches. And Pope Francis is not precise about no. what he teaches. No. He doesn't give the full gospel that says repent and believe. He just gives the part that says no, all are welcomed. Well, you know, that's, that's only not, part of it. That's part of it. Thank you. Yeah. He also said, Terry, about the sins of the flesh. He oh, said, Pope oh, Francis said, he says, quote, what I don't like at all is that we look at, at the so-called sins of the flesh with a magnifying glass. He says, uh, 
and and uh, tend to ignore it, other sins. He said, "Yeah, it yeah. tend to ignore other sins. If you exploited workers, or if you lied or cheated, it didn't matter. And instead, only sins below the waist are relevant." So, can, can we make a comment about? Well, please, Our Lady of Fatima said this. Go. Let me quote Our Lady of Fatima. Please do, please do. So let's juxtapose these two statements. Yeah. Our nineteen seventeen, the Mother of God said, "More souls go to hell because of the sins of the flesh." Than, any, than for any other reason. And that was before pornography was so rampant. Is that a fair statement, Jess? <laughs> yeah. Think about yeah. it now, bro. Way, way, way okay. before pornography. Right. And so Pope Francis is saying that, that uh, you know, uh, we look at the so-called sins of the flesh with a magnifying glass, uh, yeah. and, and, and it, 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 like, we're, like we're, there, there's too much of an emphasis on sexual sin yeah. and sins below the waist. Miss that one. Well, the Blessed Virgin Mary said that's why most yeah. people go to hell yeah. is because of precisely those sins. <sighs> it's amazing, Jesse, but Holy Father, please, we're not doing this in any animosity. We do it because we love you, because yeah. we love to have you confirm us in our faith, yes. not yeah. bring ambiguity to the faith. Yeah. Wow, that is incredible. Jesse, when we come back, Huh. We're going to talk about Disneyland and, and uh, Disney World folks and how they are missing the boat right now and losing our, our American people. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Go ahead, Jesse. Let's talk about the downfall of the woke Disney Network. Yep. Disney is admitting its political stances have yeah. put the company at risk oh, yeah. as it continues to flop at the box office in 2023. Yeah. They're looking to cut $7.5 billion in expensive. <laughs> billion dollars. Billions after strings of flops. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. The Walt Disney Company acknowledged its disconnect with consumers in its latest SEC filings as the once powerhouse brand continues to face pitfalls over its self-destructive ideological push. Disney wrote in the report, consumers' perceptions of our position on matters of public interest, including our efforts to achieve certain, certain of our environmental and social goals, often differ widely and present risks to our reputation and brands. It also recognized that success of our business depends on our ability to consistently create compelling content and it faces risks relating to misalignment with public and consumer tastes and preferences for entertainment, travel, and consumer products. <laughs> CEO Bob, Bob Iger announced earlier this month that Disney, again, is looking to cut $7.5 billion in expenses as products, particularly movies, are not performing as well as in the past. Disney's streaming subscription service reportedly lost the company nearly $400 million over the They're summer. They're hurting, man. They're hurting. But Bob Iger hopes to make the service profitable for the first time in 2024. Disney's SEC filing further conceded, quote, generally our revenues and profitability are adversely impacted when our entertainment offerings and products, as well as our methods to make our offerings <coughs> and products available to consumers, do not achieve sufficient consumer acceptance. Mm -hmm. Close quote. Disney's most recent box office flops were the movies Wish and the Marvels. Wish only managed to bring in almost $32 million over the Thanksgiving <sighs> holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. After analysts expected between $40 and $50 million, the Marvels saw the worst opening weekend performance in MCU history. Those two movies joined Strange World 
Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, The Little Mermaid, and The Ant-Man and The Wasp, Quantumania, as huge failures in the past year for Disney relative to the money budgeted out for the film. Music to my ears, continue. Last year, Disney was caught admitting to the purposeful indoctrination of children and adding queerness to its content. Ah, that's exactly why they're imploding. Yep, you nailed it. The company also opposed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' don't say gay law after the Supreme Court ruled Roe vs. Wade Disney told its employees it would travel cost for them to procure an abortion. Terry, they're paying the price for going woke, so yeah. now they're going broke. That's good. And, and you know, Jesse, I tie this last statement about they'll pay for abortions. And, you know, I noticed that statistically the states that are implementing Roe versus Wade rem- removal of it and saying states get to decide that their birth rate of these states have gone way up. And I thought about this 20 years from now, you and I probably won't be here, but 20 years from now, some of those babies, there's 40,000 of them uh, that I have documented that there's babies right now living because of that Roe versus Wade. And so can you imagine 20 years from now, that individual man or woman meets somebody who said, yeah, I, I had voted to kill you because we don't want you to come into this world. Uh, but now that you're here, um, well, I should be able to kill you now. I don't know. You'd be consistent. See, here's the point. It's so ridiculous what they're saying. And it's so, uh, it's so clear in my mind, Jesse, that abortion is the issue because if you can't have life, what other, whatever things can happen, nothing. So here's what Disney is doing. They're killing future citizens of the, of the country and people are paying for it. See, this is, Ridiculous, and this is what I think they're going to find that it's going to be their downfall. People are going to come up and wake up and say, "I don't want to support you." And as a matter of fact, I sure won't, because what they've been doing is undermining the Judeo-Christian principles of morality, and that's not going to work in today's society. This uh, Terry Hollywood hates Christianity. Yep, and they hate Jesus Christ. And that's I'm going a to fact. Pr- I'm going to prove it to you. Uh, right now, we live in in the age of stupidity. Yep. Hollywood Hollywood is run by liberal, progressive, woke leftist. And I'm going to prove to you how much they hate the Catholic faith. Look at the string of movies that they've made in the last 50, the anti-Catholic movies that they've made in the last 50 years. Okay, name them. It, remember, remember Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh, of course. About, was 1970? 1970, yeah. H- how about Godspell? Oh, 1970. Jesus yeah. was depicted as a Woodstock Woodstock hippie yep. and a confused flower child there you go. back in 1976. Going on. How about another Monty Monty Python's Life of Brian? That was in 1975. Mm. That was a comedy which mocked the crucifixion yeah. and the Catholic faith. Mm. And it says people who are part of organized religion are are made to look stupid and fanatical. How about the Last Temptation of Christ in 1988? Oh boy, we protested. That's that one. That one. Yeah, you protested that one, Terry. I remember you told me, and Mother Angelica even yeah, got involved. Came out. Yeah. She she red pilled on that one. Yeah, she did. Yeah, uh, they, they uh, the that movie they depicted Jesus as a self loathing Jew who had lustful thoughts with different women, and that he had intimate relations with Mary Magdalene. Right. How about 1989, Jesus of Montreal? Ugh. That that movie was, they depicted our Lord Jesus Christ, that his biological father was a Roman soldier. They got that from the Gospel of Thomas, that Gnostic gospel that's fake. 
And, uh, and this Jesus, they called him Daniel, who lived in modern-day Montreal. Uh, you also had the Da Vinci Code back in 2006. Yep. Remember this? This depiction of Hollywood Jesus of was married to Mary Magdalene, fathered a child with her, and uh, they said that the bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene today became the Merovingian dynasty of France, and the church has been keeping this a secret all along. Hmm. Terry, the only real Jesus... Yeah that we've gotten from Hollywood, and it wasn't even Hollywood. It was back in 2000, and I think in four, it was uh, The Passion of the Christ. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson uh, and uh, Jim Caviezel. Yep. They, they depicted the final hours of Jesus on earth. Incredible. They highlighted his passion, death, and resurrection. And guess what? Hollywood turned their back on Mel Gibson and Jim Caviezel. Oh, yeah. They were canceled after their movie, they're, they're, they're not part of the Hollywood mainstream. That's the only real Jesus movie that's come out of Hollywood. And it didn't come from Hollywood. No. It came from two Hollywood actors that have been exiled and, because they put out the truth. Yeah. And Jesse, you've talked to some of the Hollywood people that if they have any inklings to Christianity and oh, that they yeah. want to bring it out, they're done in their career. They, they just know that that's going to cost them. I mean, Jim Caviezel is a good example of that, but there's others that you've talked to over the years. Yeah, and, and, and some of these actors, and I, I know half a dozen actors, and I know them well. Yeah. They've told me that, Jess, the Hollywood, the, uh, Hollywood cabal, yeah. the, the producers and directors, he says, they're either Satanist, they're into the occult of some type, or they're into witchcraft, wow. or they're practicing homosexuals. Oh, gee. He says, and so if you're an evangelical... Or a practicing Catholic, you got to kind of keep your head down. You got to you got to go under the radar, because these occultists and homosexuals that run Hollywood, they've weaponized Hollywood against Christianity. That's what they've done. Yeah. They they be, and and Hollywood and the media in general, most of the media, they've they've inundated us with half truths, propaganda, misinformation, disinformation. And they've been dumbing down society for the last 50 years, Terry. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a fact. And this is why uh, the alternative movies like, um, oh, the movie on the, on the, not The Exorcist, but the one we just saw maybe three, four months ago on, uh, uh, what was that called, Jesse? You remember the name? Yeah, there, yeah there's a new studio. It's, it's run by Mormons, evangelicals, yeah, and some yeah, Catholics. Yeah. These guys are doing a bang-up job, Terry. They're uh It'll come up to me. Somebody will tell us or text us or my wife will run into the office and tell me. Yeah. Yeah. And Nefarious. Thank you. That's yeah. One yes. There. Nefarious. That one was so well done and it touched so many people. Angel Studios. Angel, Angel Studios. Angel Studios. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> Angel Studios. <laughs> but you see, this is what we need more of. We need more good because people will watch these movies and the moral movies do. Let's just be honest. That movie was a huge success financially, but more importantly, it gave people an awareness of evil that the devil really does exist. Uh, and another person that's trying to do movies that promote some type of virtue I, yeah. uh, is is uh, is Daily Wire. That's they're right. Moving, I yeah, got the subscription mo- for my grandchildren. All yeah, the that, things they show the kids are great. Yeah, they're moving out into the movie sp- sphere. Yes, they know that. They, yeah, and so that's you know, all, there's a lot of Catholics that work at Daily Wire. Yeah, and and they track conservative and pa- they're patriotic. Most of them are people of faith that I know of. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you, Terry, but Hollywood, they don't want any competition. <laughs> the, the woke secular left, they're the ones that have brought in the cancel culture. Yep. And since since the woke secular left, they own most of the mainstream media. 
They own most of Hollywood, education, big tech. Uh, now they're trying to censor conservative speech and religious speech that points out what the Holy Bible clearly calls a sin. Even on this show, because of all the platforms we're on, we have to watch certain <laughs> words that we can't say oh, I know. because we'll get censored. Yeah, we have you already. Yes, yeah, we have happened. to say things like the poke, you yeah, know. That's right. People, the poke, what are you talking about? The uh, poke. We know. <laughs> we know. And Jesse, let's be honest. Now with the alternative media, we're starting to make progress because people... And when we were kids, it was only a couple networks that ran everything. Now we've got yeah. the internet, and people Praise are God. starting to realize yes. that they've been duped. Yeah, Terry, uh, the Catholic Church had a big influence on Hollywood before 1952. Oh, yeah. There was an organization, it was called the Catholic Legion of Decency. Mm -hmm. The bishops back then were, they were like a bunch of Stricklands, Terry. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. They were all tigers Black by the tail. Black and white Catholicism, baby. Yeah, and they, they even brought the Jewish rabbis involved. They brought Protestant ministers. Yeah. And this was a powerful group called the Legion of Decency. And they would basically monitor everything coming out of Hollywood in the movies. But the Legion of Decency in 1952, we suffered a huge defeat when the U.S. Supreme Court, they heard the case called Joseph versus Wilson, and they ruled that sacrilege is not a valid ground for censorship in the United States. Wow. So the, the Legion of Decency was effectively disbanded. Amazing. We come back at Orientum, the way that will make the mass God-centered again. We'll talk about that and much more. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Jesse, I can't stay seated for more than 10 minutes, brother. <laughs> Jesse, here I am. I, I, You know, people say, what? no, I can't. I got too many things. I got too many people to see and things to do. But brother, today, this last segment really should inspire people when it comes to understanding the mass. So let's talk about this Latin phrase, ad orientum, the way that will make the mass God-centered. And also, at this year of Eucharistic revival, uh, that's one of the things that I think is essential for the revival. But let's get into this article, brother. Mass itself provides an orientation for the rest of the day. Yep. It helps organize the rest of the day, reminding us what St. Ignatius of Loyola would call ad majorum de gloriam, yep. which is Latin for, for the greater glory of God. The reason why the Mass helps orientate our day towards God himself is precisely that the Mass is Christ, God-centered, or at least it should be. For it is God whom we are offering sacrifice. That is why I love the action that is done in several parishes, such as those which offer the Tridentine Mass, or extraordinary form of the Mass, as well as most Eastern rites, such as the Byzantines. And let us not forget the ordinariate, formerly the Anglican use liturgies. They practice what is known as ad orientum, worship. In such liturgies, the priest is not so much facing away from the people as that he is facing somewhere, namely liturgical east. Mm -hmm. There are two main significant reasons for facing east, ad orientum. One of them is theological and the other practical. The main theological reason for ad orientum facing liturgical east is that it is a sign of hope for the theological reality of the second coming of Christ. Amen. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 24, 27, he says, quote, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Close quote. The Mass is about God. The other reason for ad orientum is more practical. It is that it is a gentle reminder that the priest is not the focus on the Mass, nor is the people. Rather, the focus on the Mass is on God, whom we are offering sacrifice to. Mm -hmm. We are offering Jesus to God the Father in every Mass that we attend. As the Council of Trent reminds us, quote, We therefore confess that the sacrifice of the Mass is and ought to be considered one and the same sacrifice as that of the cross. For the victim is one and the same, yep. namely Christ our Lord, who offered himself once only a bloody sacrifice on the altar of, of, of the cross. The bloody and unbloody victim are not two, but one victim only, whose sacrifice is daily renewed in the Eucharist in obedience to the command of our Lord. Do this for a commemoration of me. Terry, yeah, you want to pick it up yeah, there? If people understood just what you just said, Jesse, yeah. our churches would be so full, mm. you'd be looking to, you couldn't get a seat because if they understand, and I just want to use the analogy Father Ken Roberts taught me back in, in 1983 when I was doing work with him and recording him all around the country. He said that it's like you watch a football game that you recorded on your VCR when we had VCRs, mm. and then you played it back. Were you present at that game again? Yeah. Did they play the game over again? No. So every time we're at Mass, and this is something mystically that just blows me away. I think yeah. of it often that we're present at that one eternal uh, sacrifice. Continue, Jesse. I, I like your reading of this. I, Got I, it. I'm loving it. The priest faces the east. Yep. The priest faces the altar. Yep. The same direction as the congregation. That's right. This is a sign that the whole ecclesiastical community, the church, mm -hmm. is offering the same sacrifice to the same and almighty God. It is one of syncretism and orientation towards the true God who is being offered sacrifice. Well said. The problem of anthropocentrism, mm -hmm. putting humans at the center of the liturgy, is doing. a serious problem that we have to watch for. That's right. This is especially evident in the liturgy, not intrinsically, but as practically and widely celebrated, our architecture, songs and gestures, incessant announcements and congratulatory rituals <laughs> are self-referentially inwardly focused. It's all about man. The liturgy as commonly celebrated, seems more about us than God. Even the Eucharistic prayer, which is directed entirely to God, is usually celebrated facing the people. He's talking about in the Novus Ordo Mass. <coughs> it is never good, especially in the church, to consign God to the margins. The marginalization of God is evident not only in the liturgy, but in parish life, which is often top-heavy, with activism rooted in the corporal works of mercy, but little attention to the spiritual works of mercy. Social organizations predominate, but it's hard to find interest in Bible study, traditional novenas, and other spiritual works devoted to God. The church promotes ad orientum. For this reason, there are many recent theologians, cardinals, bishops, and even popes that have promoted a return to ad orientum in principle and in practice, this is true mostly of Pope Emeritus, Pope Benedict XVI, and Cardinal Robert Seurat. Many individual bishops have started to celebrate Mass at Orientum recently, especially through the invitation of Robert Seurat and his frequent letters promoting it. But this is even true of our current Pope, Pope Francis. There's a picture of this article of him celebrating Mass at Orientum a few times, and who at one point 
made Cardinal Robert Seurat the president and prefect of the Congregation for the Divine Worship. Before you quote Benedict, I just want to say something. You were around, I was around, when Cardinal Seurat one Lenten season said, we're going to start having priests do ad orientum. And when he made that statement, it rocked the whole world. And the Holy Father, unfortunately, said, no, no, I'm not letting you do that. We are not going to do this. And that was a sad day. But let's quote Benedict XVI, who wrote that famous book from Ignatius Press, The Spirit of the Liturgy. He says, my printing is a little weak here. The uh, burning of the, the, the turning the of the priest towards the people has turned the community into a self-enclosed circle. Well said. Mm. In its outward form, it is no longer open onto what lies ahead and above, but is locked into itself. Yeah, me, myself, and I. Mm. The common turning towards the east was not a celebration towards the wall. It did not mean that the priest had his back to the people, the priest himself. It was not regarded as so important. For just as the congregation and the synagogue, this is fascinating, looked to, together towards Jerusalem, so in the Christian liturgy, the congregations looked together towards the Lord. That was right from the spirit of the liturgy. Now, say, just add on to what Pope Benedict is saying. That that the purpose of Adorientum is to focus on focus us on who really matters in yeah. the liturgy yeah. the lord who mass is being celebrated and offered for yep pope benedict the 16th continues he says on the other hand a common turning to the east during the eucharistic prayer remains essential this is not a case of accidentals but of essentials mm -hmm. looking at the priest has no importance what matters is looking together at the lord and he that's in chapter three of spirit of the liturgy yep. Cardinal Robert Seurat, as I mentioned, has also talked about the importance of turning towards the, the Lord in a liturgical worship. Here are a few quotes by Cardinal Robert Seurat regarding the significance of ad orientum. Very often, our liturgies have become like theater productions. Often the priest no longer celebrates the love of Christ through his sacrifice, but just a meeting among friends, a friendly meal, a brotherly moment. Yep. If the Eucharistic celebrations are transformed into human self-celebrations, the peril is immense because God disappears. One must begin by replacing God at the center of the liturgy. If man is at the center, the church becomes purely a human society, a simple nonprofit. Like Pope Francis has said, if, on the contrary, God is at the heart of the liturgy, then the church recovers its vigor and sap. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger prophetically wrote, In our relationship with the liturgy, the destiny of the faith and of the church plays out. Lastly, Father Fessy, the founder of Ignatius Press, good. said the following. He goes, I don't say mass with my back to the people any more than Patton went, went through Germany with his back to the soldiers. Patton led the Third Army across Germany, and they followed him to achieve a goal. The mass is part of the pilgrim church on the way to our goal, our heavenly homeland. Amen. This world is not our heavenly homeland. We don't sit around in a circle at, and look at each other. We don't want to look... We don't want to look with each other and with a priest towards the rising sun, the rays of grace, where the sun will come again in the glo in glory on the clouds. And Jesse, Father Fessio, we remember going to the Adoramus conferences oh, yeah. we started back in the 1990s and educating and, uh, people about the what the yeah. Vatican II documents actually say, and we've been repeating yeah. that for years. But talking about Eucharistic revival, I mean, now we're not, the priest is not being the center of the Mass. He's going to be leading us in prayer to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is, 
so uh, a, a commonsensical, but I just wish that our bishops, when they have this Eucharistic revival coming next summer in Indianapolis, that somebody makes that comment that, hey, guys, maybe we should think this one through and go back to receiving Holy Communion only on the tongue, kneeling down. Do you think that might also affect people's Eucharistic piety? Of course, because actions speak louder than words. And I think that uh, this article should really be uh, a key part of a Eucharistic revival, turning the priest around facing God rather than the people. And I know this sounds odd to some people, but try it. We, we have it every day here at our chapel, and it's awesome because then you're not so distracted by jokes. It's all about the worship of God, not about man. And I think Adorantum does just that. Another thing on a practical level, Tell us. Uh, priests are men. They should be men, yeah. you know, well-oriented yes, men. Of course. And uh, let's just be honest, Terry. A lot of people, as a result of the, the hip-hop culture, yeah. sexual revolution, yep. a lot of women don't dress modest at mass. Of course, mass. yeah. Okay? Yep. Now, if the priest is facing on a Sunday congregation in a large parish, yep. and you have all kinds of women yep. with tight skirts, slits on the side, all yep. the way up to their thighs, yep. low tops, yep. fiery red lipstick, you're telling, you're, are you going to tell me that that's not going to distract a well-adjusted man? Yep. Of course it is. Yep. Under that cassock, my friends, there's a male body under that cassock. And it's not a good thing for a man to be staring at women dressed like they're, you know, you know, like, like they're going out on, on, on the Hollywood uh, red carpet walk. Mm -hmm. It's not good for them to look at that for an entire hour, Terry. Yeah, I agree. Jesse, we just got an email from one of our listeners. It said, Terry and Jesse, I'm so grateful for the Bishop Strickland Hour on VMPR. I'm so happy that you guys are going to do a couple shows per week. And then she quotes Malachi. She says, And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And that's what we're trying to do here at VMPR. Uh, and thank you for your support. Uh, I won't say her name, but I thank, well, Susan, I can say, for your support. And Jesse, uh, the hour goes by, but I, I always have this question. What state should we be living in, brother? State of sanctifying grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Become holy or die trying. Pray a rosary every day. Go to Mass as often as possible. Go to confession at least once a month. Yep. Do penance on Friday. Penance, penance, penance. And read your Bible every single day. No excuses. And don't forget what Jesse was quoting about Our Lady of Fatima about sins of the flesh. Yeah, she said lots of things. She also said this, that... Souls are going to help because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. Will you help pray for the souls of people? Please do. God bless.